0: Yes, I know, that's the peak of the service, but without the resurrection, the Christian faith is useless. And that's not my language, that is the Apostle Paul's language. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes to an early group of Christians and he says, But if it is preached that Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Sorry, if it has been preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. This event, the resurrection, is the cornerstone of the entire Christian faith. All of the claims of the Bible. Timothy Keller says it well. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, if this actually happened, then you have to accept everything that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Wendy, can you just turn me down just a a smidge? Thanks. Thanks. The historical testimonies of all four Gospels confidently claim the reality of the resurrection. But we're going to look at Matthew's account in detail this morning. So let's look at the reality of the resurrection. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, notice a few things. The angel invites the women into the tomb. It says, come and see, right? Sometimes we think the angel rolled away the stone so that Jesus could get out. But it's not that way, right? Like the angel rolls away the stone so that we can verify that there's no body in the tomb. Come and see. It's an invitation to investigate the claim of the resurrection. And notice that the, when the women encounter Jesus, it says they clasped his feet, they grabbed him, embraced him, and they worshiped him. Now, all four Gospels testify to a physical, bodily resurrection, but this is the only verse you need to remember if someone ever, or you're tempted to think, oh, well, yeah, Jesus was resurrected in the way that he lives on in people's hearts, or his ministry inspires people to new heights as they remember what he's done. That's not the claim of Easter. The claim of Easter is that Jesus was resurrected bodily, physically. You could touch him. He was a renewed human being. And he doesn't rebuke anyone for worshiping him. This is right and appropriate. Notice the reaction to the resurrection. In verse 8, the, women's, the women were afraid and yet filled with joy. Afraid and yet filled with joy. And the word afraid there is the Greek phobos, from which we get phobia, which is an overwhelming terror at the thought of something. The reaction is fear, phobia, and joy. And the joy part, it's pretty easy to connect to. It makes sense. Jesus is alive. That's amazing, even if it is a little bit mind-bending. But why is there fear? And that's not rhetorical. I'll invite you to maybe share. Why do you think there's phobos, there's actually fear, mixed in with joy as a reaction to the news of the resurrection. Any ideas? Don't understand being confronted by the greatness of God. Yeah. Anything else? Probably more than one right answer. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing that they were expecting. Right. This is not a, they come to embalm Jesus. They come to bury their hope. This isn't like, Oh, well, maybe this isn't the end of the story. The story's done. It's over. Holy Saturday is quiet. it's, It's over. They've come to bury hope, and now something has happened which is so outside of their frame of reference that it actually upends their view of what reality is, how reality is supposed to work, how even God is supposed to work. Words like paradigm shift or turning the world upside down, those are softer ways of saying it. It strikes them them to the core in such a way that their reaction is, this is amazing and terrifying. And those are sort of nested together. You can't pull them apart. And now you can better understand the response to the resurrection, the two different responses that you see in the next few verses. Look at verses 9 to 15. As the events of that Sunday morning unfold, two very distinct responses. The women, they see Jesus, they go to Jesus, they embrace Jesus, and they worship Jesus. And then they're given the directive, go and tell. And just as a side note, that's an amazing nod um, to the significance that Jesus is going to give to women as a part of his mission, which will ultimately happen in and through the church. This is a world where women were marginalized. They were kept from much of public life and all of religious leadership. And this absolutely indicates a renewed and expanded role for women in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and the mission of God. Women are trusted first with the message of the resurrection. But in verses 11 to 15, we see a very different reaction to the resurrection. It's not running towards Jesus and embracing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and then going and telling. It's an attempted cover-up by the authorities. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers large sums of money. And they said, this is what you're going to say. You're going to say his disciples came during the night, stole away his body while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And then Matthew adds, this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So there's an attempted cover-up. There's a group of people who have a vested interest in denying the truth of the resurrection and suppressing the news of the resurrection. And that temptation to deny and suppress the truth is totally alive and active today. You see these two reactions to the resurrection playing out in real time, all the time. As a pastor, I wanted to believe. I hoped that everybody wanted to believe in jesus they wanted to believe that the story was true they were open to believing and if they could only get all the details and um, read the same things that i was reading and, and look at all the evidence for the resurrection then they would naturally fall into a saving faith they'd naturally embrace jesus but after almost two decades of pastoral ministry i know that's that's just not the case I understand that some people don't want the resurrection to be true. They actually don't want it to be true. They have a hardened heart. They've seared their own conscience. They love their life. They love being at the center. Um, and they grasp, even if it's only in a small way, they understand that to embrace the reality of the resurrection would mean a massive shift in their understanding about life and their approach to life. And that's a threat to them. It would require submitting wholeheartedly to Jesus and his purposes, listening to him, and if he says, go and tell, I'm going to go and tell. It would require turning from a life built towards yourself and your priorities and your values and embracing a Christ-centered life where you are learning to live into his priorities. And that is a significant shift that touches every part of your life. So I understand why some people want to hold the reality of the resurrection at bay or want to suppress it, want to ignore it, want to dismiss it, want to shrug it off and want to live against its claim. But I want you to consider this morning what you miss out on when you deny and suppress the truth of the resurrection. So the resurrection isn't just the cornerstone of the Christian faith, it's actually the fundamental resource, it's the foundation through which you face life's challenges with courage and faith and hope and love. The resurrection transforms all of the possibilities of your life from the inside out in sort of concentric circles. At the center of of those concentric circles. The resurrection opens up a real possibility for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Because of what Jesus did, we can actually be forgiven. He has paid the debt that we owe for contributing to the brokenness, the sinfulness, the corruption that we see in the world. We can have a new start and a new beginning. Jesus said it's as radical as thinking about the metaphor of being born again. Forgiveness is possible. Salvation is possible. We can come and be saved out from under sin's power and presence in our life. It's penalty. We can be reconciled to God. Instead of being alienated from God, because of our sin, because of our waywardness and hardness of heart, God can restore that relationship. It's a gift that Jesus can give us. We don't even have to earn it. And that means that when we do, eternal life begins in us. And it stretches for the rest of this life and moves out into eternity. Death is not the end. It's a doorway. And one day Christ will return to renew and restore the heavens and the earth. If you're forgiven and saved, that means you have access to God. And all of his promises, all of his goodness, all of his power forever... And if you aren't forgiven, if you aren't saved through Christ, the Bible says that you live without God, and you live without hope in this world. So you live under sin's power, and one day you will stand condemned before the judgment seat of Christ and face sin's penalty. That's the inner circle that the resurrection makes possible. That's the significance, but it doesn't end there. It's not just about the salvation of your soul. That would be too small a vision For what the resurrection opens up for us. The resurrection expands possibility and potential in every dimension of life. It really holds out the possibility to transform everything. I'm not going to cover everything this morning, that would be a long sermon, but let me share a few ways that it's important for you to consider before you simply or smugly um, dismiss the reality to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus affirms that there is a supernatural realm. There is an existence of a God who transcends the natural order. That the universe or consciousness is still actually too small a vision to understand the nature of reality. The resurrection defies naturalistic explanations. It reminds us that there are some phenomena that can't be solely explained through natural laws or scientific inquiry, The resurrection challenges the materialistic idea that death is the final and ultimate reality. Yeah, we can dress it up, we can romanticize death, but at the end of the day, that's where we're all going. The resurrection says not necessarily. There is hope for an eternal life beyond the physical realm. The resurrection highlights the importance of a living faith, a living hope to propel you into meaning and purpose beyond just accruing status or stuff in this life. The resurrection suggests that there's a larger plan in place, not just that that Jesus was moving into, but that we're all a part of, that we aren't living in this random, chaotic universe where patterns and possibilities are really just illusions that we feed into our own mind. Someone is at work moving our stories and history towards an endgame. Think of the freedom that you reject if you reject the resurrection. The freedom to live wholeheartedly with God before other people. The resurrection provides a sense of purpose because you're called to re- participate in God's redemptive plan. It gives you a new understanding of, and a new way to enter into community. The resurrection brings people together into a community of faith like this one. I know you, you know me. There's a lot we do not have in common. But we are united in our faith. The resurrection compels and propels you into works of justice because it says that there is a love that is stronger than death and that love is meant to be extended to everyone because all are made in the image of God. All are meant to be recipients of compassion and justice and care. The resurrection of Jesus offers hope for transformation and growth. We can become more Christ-like. We can live a life where we are increasingly free of the sin that so easily entangles us. We're not just living in the same uh, stuck, dysfunctional, broken patterns and waiting until we die and then we get to go to heaven. We can begin to experience and walk in the victory of the resurrection power right now. We can experience a courage that I don't think you actually can ever have access to unless you understand that the same power that was at work, In raising Jesus from the dead, is now available to you through the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to move into the difficult hardships that you face with a confident courage. Not that it will be easy, but that He will provide a way, He will help you overcome and be faithful. Think about what you turn your back on if you dismiss and reject the reality of the resurrection. The fact that the resurrection offers hope in times of anxiety. We're living in those times. It's very difficult to predict what the world's going to look like in two years from now, let alone five or ten or one generation. That would have been a little bit easier to do maybe 20 years ago. It seems impossible now. Anxiety is spiking across demographics at an all-time high. The resurrection can actually ground you in a way that allows you to say, I don't need my confidence to come from being able to predict the future because the shepherd walks with me and he steadies me. The resurrection offers hope and encouragement in times of depression, reminding you that you're not alone, that Christ is indeed with you in power. God's love and grace is available to you. The resurrection delivers you and can deliver you from loneliness, bring in new um, community. And even in times of isolation, feed into a sense of communion with God. You're part of a larger family of faith. And you can actually walk with Christ where the Christian faith doesn't just become about believing certain things and ideas in your head, but it becomes an experience of walking with Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus gives you a model for forgiveness and reconciliation. So anger and regret doesn't have to define your relationships anymore. And maybe most importantly, in a world that is increasingly tempted to despair. The resurrection of Jesus offers real hope and real promise of new life. It reminds us that even in the darkest times, if we turn to God, there's a possibility. And if we actually, there's a possibility for renewal and transformation. And if we turn to God, that possibility turns into an inevitability. Now, that's not everything. That's a few things. But those are some of the things that we say no to when we say no to the resurrection, when we say no to Jesus. And if your response to the resurrection is to deny and to suppress the truth, please know that you are suppressing these kingdom of God outworkings in your life. You're actually pushing and holding back life from being established and growing up in and through you. And that means that you shouldn't be surprised if you're trying to take hold of those things while at the same time denying and suppressing God, denying His work, denying the resurrection, holding religion at bay. And as you do, you find that the striving for those things means you can never quite class them. You can't really get a grip on them. You can't find purchase. And that's because you can't experience the kingdom without the king. You can't have the kingdom without the king. It's a package deal. To have the kingdom is to turn to Jesus, to run towards Jesus, to embrace Jesus, and to worship Jesus. And then, you'll patiently begin to reverse engineer your life from there. Okay, I'm at the center, and this is what that means. Forgiveness, love, hope, renewals at the center. This is what that looks like for your marriage and your finances and your sexuality and the way that you start your day and the way that you end your day and the way that you move through your day, what you give your attention to, all of it. But I want to name one more elephant in the room as I close. It's a, gro- it's a grace note here. Um, verse 17, Matthew 28. There's a, there's a big time jump In this last little section, where Matthew jumps 40 days ahead, Jesus does many things over those 40 days. Some of those are accounted for in in the other gospel accounts. But Jesus gathers his disciples to him, and in verse 17 it says, They worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm kind of comforted by that. Right? The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw Him, they worshiped Him, but some doubted. And I do know there's people here today that genuinely want to believe. They've tried to believe. They want to embrace Jesus. They're not against that idea. They're open to the reality of the resurrection, coming into their life and filling it with new hope and new purpose and new direction but they also find themselves doubting. I think it's amazing that even those closest to Jesus, those who were there and saw Him and heard Him and touched Him, sat with Him, ate with Him for 40 days in a post-resurrection state in this new kind of body which couldn't be touched by death. Even some of them struggled to understand and believe what all of their senses were communicating to them, right? Phobos and joy, fear and joy. What the heck? And I get it. I appreciate how absurd the claim of Jesus' resurrection is on the face of it. And I have honestly deep empathy for people who say, lots of stuff in Christianity I like, the resurrection thing, I, it's just, it's its too fantastical. It's too anti-intellectual. It's too anti-scientific. I, I can't really get there. It's a bridge too far. I don't even understand how I would accept it, yet alone begin to build my life around it. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that what the Bible is asserting is easy to understand. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy to believe but i am going to stand here and tell you that what the bible asserts is true That it actually really happened and i understand it stretches our imaginations to the limit and for some of us that that elastic band snaps but that's what miracles do right miracles reveal that our paradigms of what is possible are too limited too small too misinformed So how do we move into this Easter morning? Are we going to follow the women's lead and embrace and worship Jesus as the resurrected King of Kings? Or are you going to follow the guards in denying and suppressing the truth? As a pastor, as your pastor, as your friend, I call you today to hear and respond to the reality of the resurrection. I call you to place your faith in Christ. The Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost, you and I. Jesus lived, He died, and He rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. To offer you the promise of an eternal resurrection future as a gift, if you would turn to Him. That by believing in Him, you can take possession of eternal life and a power that can positively transform every part of your life as you follow Jesus into a new future with faith and hope and love. Let's pray. God, as we end our time worshiping you, we give you thanks. For hearts that are on fire with love and devotion to you, stoke those fires, God. Hearts where the embers grow small and are have almost gone out, stoke your flame of faith. For embers that are cold and resistant, God, bring your fire, bring revelation of your truth. We love you, we celebrate that you are alive and that you are returning one day. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen.